0: Welcome to How to Read the Bible. I'm your host Nate Claiborne. I'm here again today with Benjamin Cant. How we doing, Ben? Hey, Nate. I'm doing well. Looking forward to jumping into the Gospel according to Matthew. Yeah, we've, in some sense, it's it's weird at the end of the year coming back to the very beginning of the New Testament, but just with the way CBR works, I don't know if listeners have picked up on this, but we group. The writings of the New Testament, more or less, by author rather mm. than by strict canonical reading, mm-hmm. um, and so to some degree that's helpful. And to another degree, it may obscure things that would emerge in a true canonical reading. Mm. Um, and by canonical reading, I mean reading the Bible in order. So mm-hmm. there's um, something we're going to touch on here in just a minute. Is there's a reason Matthew is the first gospel mm-hmm. in the New Testament, and so we're kind of we're reading it around Christmas time, so that does help, but. Um, We're gonna kind of continue our discussion from the last couple episodes where we've been talking about patterned reading or typological reading. Um, We have been using some of the more technical terms, but we've also been trying to use our own terminology to sort of help listeners grasp more what we're getting at. Mm -hmm. And so today we're gonna be looking at Genesis, or not Genesis, but... That it's a slip of the tongue. That's going to make sense in a minute. That's but right. We're looking at Matthew one and two. Those were our readings on Thursday and Friday of last week. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to see some things that we should be looking for in Matthew, which is namely allusions and citations. Mm-hmm. And so, Ben, as you understand it, what what's the difference between allusions and mm-hmm. citations?
1: Yeah, I think of an allusion as something that uh, is it only offers itself to somebody who's a, a keen reader. So, um, uh, many times w- we've used this, this example before, but there's plenty of times I'll be in a conversation with some people and somebody will slip in an office reference, uh, mm, from the yes. show, the office. And, uh, and if you don't know the office, it will just kind of come and go. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the conversation with somebody and he was like, wow, that was like the white whale of that. And I, and I knew he didn't mean Moby Dick. I knew he meant, uh, he was referring to some deep office lore about uh, getting the Scranton white pages. And so, because I'm very familiar with that, Mm -hmm. with that canon, that is the office. Yeah, (laughs) And so I think similarly, uh, we do this all the time, pop culture references, things like that. We just make allusions constantly that would be, that would culturally, you could say, go over the heads of other people. Mm -hmm. But the Bible is a culture. Um, it, it, it contains a culture. It's got verbiage. It's got language. It's got poetry. It's got art forms, all these things that are uh, only caught by people that are enculturated into that culture. Yeah, that's And good. so reading the Bible helps us to read the Bible because we catch those allusions more and more. Yeah. So even Matthew 1 begins the book of the genealogy. And so you have to know that genealogies are at the are maybe the most important feature of the Book of Genesis, um, all building out of Genesis three fifteen, the 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 first gospel where it says that the seed of the woman, that's offspring, that's uh, the 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 one, the the children of the woman um, will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, right? And so we've got this genealogy, this genealogical line that really really matters.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it, it makes me think too, I, my slip of the tongue was because of that, because mm-hmm. we've been preaching through Genesis, but also um, not all listeners would know this and we just have to throw this in here for free on this podcast. But genealogy, the Greek word is Genesis. Yeah, So it's the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's... The first book of the New Testament referencing itself back to the first book of the Old Testament in two
1: different ways at once, Mm -hmm. really. It makes me wish that they they just translated it Genesis. Now, we'd be like, what is going on there? But there's something really meaningful about knowing that the Greek word is Genesis there. Mm. And so we get into this genealogy. And one of the ways, this is the How to Read the Bible, uh, not project, but uh, podcast. And one of the ways to read the Bible is to read it out loud and to listen for things. And so uh, look with me at verse 2. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Now you can tell there's kind of a cadence. And -and so-and-so the father of so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so the father of so-and-so. And as you read it out loud, you audibly hear that. So any disruptions in that pattern, you are... Paying attention to, they Mm -hmm. they they kind of stick out like a sore thumb, and so when we hear and the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, we're like, huh. So we've got for the first time in this genealogy, a there's this was born of a man, and here's the woman. It's Mm -hmm. Tamar, And, and we can keep going and. Pick up in verse four, it says, and Ram the father of of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So now we've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. And each of those are the only women that we have named thus far. Mm-hmm. And they're named in this, in this breaking of the pattern, if you will. So, th- so the kind of the, the cadence of it is by the, fa- and so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, and so-and-so, the, and then you got by the, and you get the woman. Now there's four women named here. And then at the end we get, um, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So five women all together. But tell us about these women, Nate. They've got something in common. Yeah, and that's that's
0: where understanding that it's an illusion. So the, the writer, Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's writing, and he's assuming his audience is familiar with these stories because he doesn't feel the need to explain them. Um, And we've talked in a previous episode about the importance of using Mm cross-references. So if we try to do that with Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, it actually just refers us back to two other genealogies. Mm -hmm. So that's not actually going to help us. We would need to know the story of Judah. I think it's in Genesis 38. Mm -hmm. There's a whole chapter devoted to it. We would know that, okay, well, Tamar is actually his Mm daughter-in-law, and she posed as a prostitute and tricked him into sleeping with her but it's actually, she was the righteous one in that situation because he had been withholding his last son from her. Mm-hmm. So all sorts of complicated things we, we're not going to explain right now. Mm-hmm. People can... Very sketchy. Very sketchy. Okay. Um, she's also a Canaanite, mm. which is relevant.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When we go down to... Uh, who's next? Rahab. Right. Where, famous story, Joshua chapter two, Rahab the prostitute, mm-hmm. who's a Canaanite mm. living in Jericho, mm-hmm. uh, but who proves herself to be righteous in the sense that she... Here's, I think the way she describes it is she's heard all that the God of Israel has done to the Egyptians Mm -hmm. and their hearts melted. Mm -hmm. And then basically offers to help these spies Mm -hmm. evade being caught. She's going to hide them. She's going to protect them Mm -hmm. Um, and basically wants to convert on the spot. She wants to follow their God. Yeah. Wow. Just out of the blue. Sure. Um, And then we have Ruth, which we're reminded all throughout the book of Ruth that she's a Moabite. Mm. and. this is where we're getting an allusion to an illusion because mm. i meta. think most yeah very meta it's like the show community or something like that where it's like you have to know this illusion is alluding to this thing and it's kind mm. of they're nested like russian uh, russian nesting dolls mm-hmm. um but with ruth i would imagine most of our listeners are pretty familiar with ruth's story mm-hmm. But it could be obscured how relevant it is that she's a Moabite. Mm. But as you're reading through Ruth, it's Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite, and Ruth the Moabite. So if you work backwards, Moabites show up in numbers. They're the ones that uh, paid Balaam to curse Israel. Mm-hmm. Not, not a cool move on their part. That's right. Um, they also don't help Israel coming out of Egypt... Um, in Exodus 17, 18, somewhere around in there, they refuse bread and water. Mm-hmm. Um, also not cool. Mm-hmm. And then if we go back even further to Genesis 19, we find out that their their ancestor, Moab, is the son of Lot. The mm-hmm. unfortunate thing is it's the son of Lot by his daughter post-destruction of Sodom after. So it's a very sketchy story in Genesis 19, but it's this kind of mm-hmm. very questionable background. So yeah. Ruth on her own... Not so much, but the Moabites as a people, Mm -hmm. um, product of incest.
1: That's right. So, so far we've had all Gentiles and we've had all sexually sketchy situations. Yeah. At some point. At some point. And then we get to David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Which should cue you right away. So so-and-so had so-and-so by somebody else's wife.
0: <laughs> right. It doesn't
1: even say... Her, yeah, it doesn't say her name, but mentions she's someone else's wife. That's right. Which is Bathsheba, if you know the story. Mm-hmm. And David essentially uses his power in order to take her as his own and then has Uriah killed. Yeah. And doesn't live it down. Um, yeah. And so so we've got these four women that are... Um, there's there's uh, sexual... Sketchiness is the word that we're using.
0: Yeah, just got irregularity. And we should note, especially because we're, we're putting Bathsheba in this mix, which we should also mention Uriah is a Hittite.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's
0: quite plausible. Bathsheba is as well. So okay. she's also a Gentile. Yeah. That's tenuous to some degree. But sure. Sure. Um, these women are, for the most part, we would say innocent. Mm. Like they're mm. they're not maybe even more righteous than the men. The men in the yeah. The male so counterpart. when we say there's sexual irregularity, we're not mm-hmm. saying these are women of ill repute. Even sure. if Rahab is a prostitute, we're saying there's some sort of questionable sexual background mm. that involves someone maybe taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all linked together, and I think. The way that the reason they're brought out is it prepares you for, at the end of this genealogy, we read, now the birth of the Christ, Jesus the Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child.
1: Mm. So
0: pregnant out of wedlock, Mm -hmm. which is still questionable. I mean, the people in Jesus' day never let him live it down to Mm. some
1: degree. So we would say that these are all in some ways illusions. Uh, now they're not super deep illusions. In other mm-hmm. words, you can pick up on them pretty quickly that you know that they're referencing these people and to their stories there. Yeah. But even in just the the where we started, which is how do you read the Bible well? Well, read it out loud. That's a huge help. Mm-hmm. And as you're reading it out loud, pay attention to what you hear hear that there's these interruptions where it says by Tamar by Rahab by Ruth by the wife of Uriah those should catch you up um, or, or trip you up in some way so you go whoa what's going on here um, and so as we continue in, in the Gospel of Matthew and we move into chapter two, um, we see some other things that that we, you could call citations, which we never really define citations, but uh, Nate you and I are either currently teachers or have been teachers in the past. I'm talking about high school teachers mm-hmm. and and so whenever you teach, anybody to write a paper citations are super important yeah you got to show your sources you got to cite them you gotta and so the bible the biblical authors will do that um by saying things like in chapter 2 verse 5 they told him in bethlehem of judea for so it is written by the prophet here we've got a citation um and and so we've got that uh, a few times in chapter 2 where it says by the prophet by the prophet by the prophet um and so these are direct uh Quotations that are being pulled from uh, either Isaiah or or Hosea or some of the, Jeremiah, some of these other places in the Old Testament, and they're they're pretty they're a lot more direct. They're mm-hmm. they're not as hidden. Um, but but yet you were saying even that there are some kind of uh, contours to this story that are illusions even with these citations within.
0: Yeah, so it's it, it's good that we kind of clarified what citations are. Those are the things that are more obvious, which is why we spend a little bit less time on them, but we would encourage readers. It's worth going back and looking up. Um, One twenty three is a quote from Isaiah. 2.5 is a quote from Micah. 2.14 is a quote from Hosea. 2.18 is from Jeremiah. Hmm. Um, Jeremiah is the only one I think that's directly called Jeremiah. The mm-hmm. other one's just by the prophet. Mm-hmm. And you just, you do what we've talked about before, you use a little cross reference, and you can figure out, oh, it's from this verse in mm-hmm. Hosea or this verse in Isaiah. Um, we have a little visitor that just popped by the studio <laughs> to say hi. Um, we are – so we were talking about contours of the story. And I, as, I, as we're talking, I think it's worth clarifying, we're probably using illusion in a slightly different way mm. than the more technical mm. writings on biblical interpretation would sure. because we're we're acknowledging these are things that you just see and hear by reading. Mm-hmm. It's not – it's so, it's a question you should ask. I think a lot of times the more technical illusions are things that are buried, like you kind mm-hmm. of um, – I think I can think of one that's gonna come up in Matthew a little bit later, just real quick. It's when Jesus is telling a story about a woman who takes some measures of flour and presses them down, and he's talking about the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and how it's, once you start the process, it's unstoppable. He's alluding to the story in Genesis 18 with Abraham and Sarah, when mm. God shows up with the two angels, mm. Sarah goes and takes a couple measures of flour and that's bakes good. them some bread. And it's like, that's a very deep... That's probably what most people mean by illusion. Is yeah, you'd that's have good. to know that. Whereas in these cases, it's they're mentioning something and not explaining mm. it. So maybe a deep illusion and a shallow illusion is yeah. a helpful, distinction
1: or surface or um,
0: depth or yeah. Sure. So some of these story ones though maybe fit into the category of a deep illusion, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll kind of round out the discussion with that. Um, you can make a case that in the Old Testament there are significant geographic movements. Mm. Uh, moving east all the way back to Genesis 1, going east is a sign of exile. Mm-hmm. So they're they're kicked out east of Eden, mm-hmm. and then uh, Cain goes further east. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if we, there's a, uh, I think if you chart the geography of Israel coming out of Egypt, mm-hmm. they enter the promised land from the east. They go around Moab, we mentioned that a minute ago, and then mm-hmm. they cross the Jordan River from the east, so they're coming from the east, going back to the west. Hmm. Um, When Israel's exiled, they're exiled to the east in Babylon. When Mm -hmm. they return, they're coming from the east, they're going west. So there's this kind of movement of going east is further, going west is coming closer, and so it's probably – Historically, it makes sense the wise men came from Babylon, mm. but it's also significant they're coming from the east, moving west mm-hmm. to come closer to God's presence through yeah. Jesus.
1: That's good. I had a professor who said the theology is in the geography. Yeah. It's another way to say, say that.
0: Yeah. So we've got the, this east-west movement, and then we've got this north-south movement of... Numerous times in Genesis, we have Abraham go down to Egypt and then mm. come back up out of Egypt, mm-hmm. returning to the promised land. We have, Joseph, we have a larger story of Joseph going down, then his brothers and his father coming down, mm-hmm. and then they're enslaved in Egypt, but then eventually they come up out of Egypt and return to the promised land. So it's significant that we have this flight to Egypt to avoid a wicked king who's trying to kill babies, should make readers think of... Exodus 1 and 2, a wicked king trying to kill babies.
1: That's great. I think that's another example of an illusion, right? Because it never says Herod is Pharaoh. Yeah. Uh, But there are ways in which you're like, oh, I'm very keenly aware of the the story of Exodus and there's, yeah, Moses, this other baby. And and even Matthew's work, in a lot of ways, the Gospel according to Matthew is setting Jesus up as a greater Moses. Mm -hmm. Maybe another deep illusion to the structure of Matthew is that there's these five big teaching Chunks in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, um, one of which we'll touch on next week, which is the most famous, the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, um, and and who else has has these uh, th- these these discourses that are making Jesus the teacher? Right, he's he's set up as this teacher of five discourses, and you know we've got the five books of Moses. Mm. Um, and so there's this... not not coincidental, That's most likely, right. but it's pretty deep illusion in some ways.
0: Right, you, it's it's Matthew's not coming right out and saying, hey, just so you know. That prophet that was promised who's gonna be better than Moses, he's here and it's Jesus. Yeah, that's right. But he's showing it by these stories. He's given us these allusions. He's showing that in some ways Jesus is rhyming with the story of Israel. Mm -hmm. He's not the fancy word, which is maybe a slightly different concept, is recapitulation. Mm -hmm. And now that I've said that word, you can realize why I didn't lead with that. That's right. But there's a sense in which Jesus' story is following a lot of Mm. the contours of Israel as a whole, Mm -hmm. illustrating he is the new...
1: Israel to mm-hmm. some sense, which we'll unpack more later. And it's worth pointing out that this is a way in which the Bible is the highest level of literary artistry. Uh, and and so the reason why people like indie movies, the kind of people that do like indie movies, mm-hmm. and the reason that people that don't like them don't like them is because indie movies often have just this like deep subtleties that are like super artsy and you're like, huh, oh, what does that mean? But it's like super meta and all this stuff, Right. And uh, and so sometimes they actually do have, like, genius-level meaning to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and sometimes they're just kind of stupid. And it's like, <laughs> you, you know, map onto it whatever you want to. It's got more to do with you than it does with the actual art piece. <laughs> yeah. This is literary art at the highest level. I mean, there is such a level of... Um, care and craft put into this, that w- two explanations. One is Matthew's a literary genius, which I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Another explanation is is that the Holy Spirit is a literary genius and helps Matthew along as well. Yeah. And my guess is it's probably both. Yeah. I mean, he, he's
0: writing in ways that make sense to his purpose as a human author, but mm-hmm. the level of connectivity seems beyond what a normal human author even a literary genius could
1: manufacture that's right some of the most brilliant minds have spent their lives poring over this gospel and have found and we've not we've not um, exhausted its depths and riches yeah that that says something about the quality of, of it, literature it, It's one of the arguments
0: for the continuing production of biblical commentaries mm-hmm. there, there's never going to be a single once for all this commentator. No stone unturned in the Gospel of Matthew. We don't need to write anything else about it because we grow and learn as humans. We grow and learn as culture. Mm -hmm. um, And as we're kind of building our understanding of how deep the connectivity of Scripture is. And Mm -hmm. so no one gets to have the final word. Yeah, that's great. We'll look forward to jumping into Sermon on the Mount next week. Yeah, it's been good chatting with you, Ben. We'll pick up there next time.